This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, what's happening, everybody? It is Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. This is a new episode of Crossed Up. Philly's coming off of an important series split with the New York Mets. A little bit of a stumble on Saturday and Sunday, but they bounce back with an important, dramatic 9-8 win today. Anthony, I have not talked to you in a while. A lot has happened. What's going on, man? Hey, you know what, Bob? Let me say, uh, you know, there was so many times over the course of the last two weeks, which, of course, I was – I, the reason we haven't recorded is because I, I was a little bit out of pocket having to concentrate so much on the Flyers playoffs. Obviously, that's over now. But there was so much that was going on with this team. Like, the emotions that you, you have, they were going – it's like a roller coaster. You know, like, oh, my God, they're winning all of a sudden. Oh, they might be a real contender. Oh, but there's that bullpen again, and it pulls you right back down again. Oh, but they're winning some more. Oh, but then the bull – and it's just like you – know, it's, it's just a little, bit of, a little bit of pulling you in both directions. I don't know where to be right now. Like, this was a good win today, this 9-8 win. It was a good win. It was an important win. But I don't feel great about it. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel great that Gene Segura had to have four hits and five RBI to, because the team blew a 6 nothing lead. And I don't want to sound negative because the Phillies are still in a very good spot. They're probably going to make the playoff, especially with the schedule that they have in front of them. But it's, it's, just, it's just frustrating. You know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, why can't it ever just be consistent? I don't know. That's just, just me. If there's yeah, three games over 500, it's a positive. It would have been nice to have them go out, hold on to a 6 nothing lead, play clean baseball. And I think that that was the thing that yeah. stood out to me today and, and really has kind of plagued them at different points throughout the season. They just aren't pretty. You know, defensively, they don't do things well at times. It seems like things snowball on them. Uh, you know, the bullpen has just been a mess from the jump. And I know that they had stabilized a little bit when they went through their, their winning streak, but it's just been it's been a tough go all around when, when you look at this bullpen and what it's done. ERA is back up over seven again. It's back to being Major League Baseball's worst bullpen. It had temporarily climbed out. I believe that the Rockies actually surpassed them for a few days uh, in terms of ERA. And, you know, I think the reason why you don't feel great about things, even though they, they go on this major winning streak, they go on the big run that Bryce Harper talked about and that everyone's been talking about now for the past few days, and they get a key win today. I think it's because you know at the end of the day, regardless if the Phillies win the East, they're the five or six seed in the NL postseason picture, you know the team has flaws. They're fun. They can rip off some wins. They can get hot. They can make you believe for a few days. But you know, at the end of the day, there are issues that exist with this team. Yeah, and that's the thing, Bob. Like, you know, I, I think – I forget where I saw it, but there was some uh, some story or maybe I heard it on the radio. I don't even remember. But they were talking about, you know, Philly's likeliest playoff opponents. And they're saying, well, it's either going to be the Padres or the Cubs, Right. Um, like they're the most likely teams for them to play. I, there was some formula that kind of figured that out. I don't know how you get that. I mean, there's still only two games behind the Braves for first place. 
and climb into the top three. I mean, it's very easy, um, especially with their schedule. Nevertheless, that's what the people are saying. I'm sitting there saying, I don't care like who their first-round matchup is right now. I want to see them show me that they can be a playoff team beyond just one round, uh, you know, and really kind of make a – make some noise and they have time to do it. I mean, you have 30, they've played what 37 games now. So you still have 23 games to go in the season. Um, you could still kind of get things kind of settled and, and rectified. That's what I want. I want to see the consistency. I want to see them be better before we get there, because if they just get there and then they, and then they're bounced by the Padres, let's say in the first round, uh, what good is that? Like that doesn't, that doesn't make me feel better that, Oh, well, they finished with a winning record in a 60-game season, and they lost first round of an expanded playoff. Like, that doesn't make me feel any better. I want to see them play better before then and be more consistent before then so that way you say, okay, you know what? This team has a chance to go beyond that first round and maybe make some noise, you know, crazy year expanded playoff. Okay, so as we sit here and we record, Phillies are two games behind the Atlanta Braves in the National League East. According to Fangrass, Phillies have an 89.6% chance of reaching the postseason, and obviously the expanded field certainly helps matters, but they are very much alive in this division race. I don't think that there's any doubt about that at this point. Uh, Atlanta certainly has a ton of flaws, certainly has injury concerns as well. And I think that the Phillies have sort of established themselves as the second best team at the very least in this division. Now, that being said, you talked about how you would not be particularly pleased if they just kind of make the postseason. Do you feel that in order for this season to be a success that they need to win multiple playoff rounds? I mean, what is your expectation of this team and what do you deem a success? Because for me, I still look at this as a team that was never a true World Series contender. And I guess that certainly anything can happen in, in this condensed season and expanded postseason format, but I don't believe that they're the same caliber of the San Diego Padres or the Los Angeles Dodgers. But I do think beyond that, you could you could make a, a case that they're certainly in that second tier. I believe that the Phillies may be a better team than the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the Cubs do not hit. Their main superstars have been terrible this year. You look at Javi Baez is struggling. Uh, Chris Bryant has really struggled. They've got an inconsistent starting pitching. John Lester has been atrocious. So I, when I look at it, if they had the right matchups, I do think that the Phillies could possibly make some noise given the pairing of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. And, and really the emergence of Zach Eflin as a viable 3-4 type starter, maybe they could make some noise if the lineup can kind of hit their way and, and kind of overcompensate for the, the, the issues that exist with just a terrible and what remains a terrible bullpen. But for me, I think that simply making the postseason and maybe winning one round would, would be sufficient in my book. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I guess it would depend on who they match up with, okay? Uh, um, because, look, if you – if you, yes, they need to make the playoffs A, uh, especially since it's eight teams and not five. Um, so, yes, they need to make the playoffs. And, I, yeah, they need to win a round, man. I mean, look, if you go into the second round and you match up with the Dodgers and you get smoked or, or you get matched up with the Braves and it's a good series but you end up losing to them in the second round – uh, I'm okay with that. I get I get by and I say, look, it was a weird year. There was only 60 games, whatever. Um, I still I still have issues with the way that you know the team was built and structured, and not, I'm not a fan of the management here. But I'll be okay with that. I'm saying, okay, that's progress. That's progress. You went, you, you got past the first round, and you played into the second round and played a good series, or you matched up with the Dodgers, who you're not a good matchup against. I get. It. 
the Dodgers okay. aren't a the Dodgers aren't a good matchup against anybody. I mean, you can make a realistic right. case right. that at I believe they are thirty and twelve right now. You can make a That's legitimate correct. case that the LA Dodgers don't have to win again this season to make the playoffs. And if they do, it's probably one or maybe two more games. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's how good of a team they are. So, so like, uh, you know, but you know what? I will say this. I mean, if you were flashback, I mean, remember when the Phillies were that good, right? And then they kind of, you know, <laughs> lollygagged into the end of the and got into the playoffs and got bounced by the Cardinals. Yeah, an 83 um, win, an 83 win Cardinals team. Yeah, so it can happen, right? I mean, it can absolutely happen that some that the Dodgers get a little bit, you know, a little bit too full of themselves and get a little lazy, and then somebody come, somebody gets them. Um, and also, when you really think about it, you know, Dodgers are going to be the one, no doubt. If the Padres are the four, right, with an eighteen playoff, there's a real possibility that Dodgers Padres is your second round matchup, and that's sure. yeah, that would be that would be that'd be something, right? I mean, I still don't think the Padres beat them, but it, it's interesting. They could. They could be in that conversation. But see, the thing with the Padres that bothers me is, as far as the Phillies are concerned is this, Bob. They were worse than the Phillies. They were worse than the Phillies. And, and suddenly, somehow, someway, their general manager figured it out and got them ahead of the Phillies. Well, I will say, now listen, I love Alec Boehm, but they, they arguably – called up the MVP of baseball this season in Fernando Tatis Jr. And I would say that, you know, forget the Clevenger additions and, and what they did at the trade deadline. They have some youth. They've had, they have some talent there. But, the, I mean, Tatis has just completely altered the landscape for that team. Well, yeah, but he came up last year. So it's not like he was something new. Right? I mean, he was, he was with the – he played – he had 300 and some at-bats last year before he got hurt. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like – it's not like this like, was – there's something to be there's something to be said for getting your your feet on the ground and kind of getting getting settled. I mean, he came into the season and it was like, okay, you know, last year was more of a learning experience. No, yeah, I get it. I mean, I get it. But what I'm saying to you is, is that that they went from, but that's the thing. Like they were a, they were just as bad, if not worse, than the Phillies for a few year, a few years back. Um, and they made the right call on draft picks. They made the, their their farm system was a good farm system. The Phillies was not. And so when you make mistakes and you screw up your draft, then you have to go out and you got to bring guys in from the outside, which the Padres have also done. Um, and they've done it well. And AJ Preller went nuts here at the deadline. I mean, he just reloaded this team and got them ready to make a push to beat the Dodgers. The Phillies couldn't do any such thing because they don't have the talent in, at the, in the minor league system to compete with the, the you know to compete with teams on trades like that. So that's what I'm saying. It, it, there's there's something else I even want to that that deals with with Clentac and the 40 man roster and the like. Well, well, we'll dive into that a little bit later. But I, you know, I, I just get I, get I get annoyed when you when there are teams that are in the same position you are. And they're trying to make the same move you are and as far as get better over the course of, you know, three, four, five years, whatever, whatever you want to say is the, is the window there that you're going to improve your team. And that they get there and you don't. Or you don't quite get as far as they do. And that's what, that's what bothers me. Look, and that's not a knock. This lineup is really good. The Phillies are hitting the ball. And, I, you know, I love the way that this lineup is working right now. But there, are, there, were, there were complete misses. And, and blind spots that bother me. And it 
goes beyond just Clentac, and if you want to include Andy McPhail, you can as the president. I think it goes all the way up to ownership, man, because if you really, really, really wanted to go out and try and win a championship, you pay the damn luxury tax. And the Phillies have had to work. I'll give Clentac this. I'm not a fan, but I'll give him this. He has had to work within restraints and has tried to figure out a way. And he, his, he said, you know what, we're going to, if we have to be restricted financially, the one thing, the one area that we are less inclined to load up money wise is in the bullpen. And so they, that's why the bullpen is what it is. And, and I think that that's on, that's on ownership. So that goes, it goes beyond just the general manager and the president. It goes all the way up to the people who are signing the checks. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I agree with that to an extent. I, I also I find myself needing to pause here for a second and just sort of resetting ourselves only because, you know, uh, two and a half weeks ago, this team was sitting at nine and 14 and it looked like they would not make the playoffs, you know, that they were headed for a potential 25 win season, missing the postseason total disaster scenario. And they've sort of righted the ship here. They've won 11 of 14 games. We're talking about them potentially being a four, five, six team in the postseason, and we're ripping apart the GM and we're talking about ownership. But the reality of the situation is that there's kind of to, to borrow the Kevin Kincaid phrase here, two things can be true. Like the Phillies have played well yeah. lately and there are some things to like, but yes, there are greater concerns as well. I'm not ready to do the apology to Matt Klintak yet. When I look at this, I agree with you that there were some restrictions put in place by ownership in terms of a financial commitment and maybe what Matt Klintak could do to spend to upgrade this bullpen. At the same time, though, part of the reason that they didn't have the prospects to go out and add pieces at the deadline is because Matt Klintak and his development team weren't able to cultivate the pieces necessary Correct. to make yep. these types of deals, and that falls on him. Also, when I look no. at the financial aspect of it, you know, I'm not just ready to say, hey, listen, it's all John Middleton's fault. You know, he has over $200 million to play with in his payroll, Matt Klintak, and he's made some questionable decisions that have put him in this spot. Now, Considering how bad this bullpen was, when you look at guys like Brandon Workman, Heath Hembry, when you look at guys like David Hale and David Phelps, you know, I don't know. Like, you go out and you get Phelps, and, and we talked about it at the time. You weren't blown away by that move. I thought, given what the Phillies had in their bullpen, certainly Phelps is an upgrade. He has not been particularly good thus far. Heath Hembry's given up a ton of home runs since he's been with the Phillies. You look at what Workman's done, he's mostly gotten a job done but at the same time he flirts with disaster almost every single time he's out there so I look at this thing as a whole I still question his ability to identify talent I still question his ability to kind of make decisions that that where you're maximizing and you're getting the most out of potential lesser value type of players but I will give him credit for going out and getting Zach Wheeler who continues to pitch very well he had another good game on Monday six innings three runs a little shaky at the end there 83 pitches but Zach Wheeler has been everything that the Phillies could have possibly hoped for you have to kind of say hey Matt nice job good work on that one you can you know and I've heard a lot of people talk about Jay Bruce and how that was a great move by Matt Klintak because Jay Bruce came cheap well when Jay Bruce has been in the lineup he's been extremely productive the problem is is what he's never in the lineup because he's always hurt so so, you know, if, if he's going to be a fundamental key contributor to your lineup, well, 
you know, you can't have the guy on the DL every other week. And, and that's sort of what the deal has been with him since they acquired him last season. So, you know, it's, it's weird. Like I heard a lot of people take the stance that maybe we're being too hard on Matt Clentak and, and maybe we should ease up a little bit, but I still believe that the Phillies have fatal flaws. And at the end of the day, their inability to correct those fatal flaws are going to fall at his feet. And, and that's just the way that I feel. All right, and, and you're right. And, and look, I know that it's kind of hard to start off this podcast first time we're talking in a couple of weeks and we're, we're already on the negative. But, um, and I get it. And I, there's, there are positive things, and we'll get to them. And this is the one thing I mentioned earlier that I wanted to get to. And since we're talking about Clintac, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it up now. Another fatal flaw, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination trying to defend the general manager. The only thing that I, that I kind of you know, say, all right, I kind of understand maybe your purse strings were a little tighter than it needed to be. Um, and so I kind of understand why you devalued that because that was the least important thing for your team. Okay, yeah, I think, th- I think that became evident the, the watching the second half of last season and what Gabe Kapler and what that team was trotting out, you know, right. in August and September. And, and certainly I understand that. Like, I agree with what you're saying. If you're going to devalue one component yeah. of this team in light of where they were at after last season, it is the bullpen because you know that there is some variance in performance. You know that guys can get hot. It's a short season. Let's see what happens. I understand the philosophy, but I mean, at the same time, you know, the Phillies just talk about how they want to be contenders and what they expect and what they believe they're going to accomplish. My goodness, you know, it was the most glaring evident flaw that even a casual fan could have identified back in March, back in July. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that I wanted to, to add here is, you know, here's a situation where you look at the lineup today and Bryce Harper has to play center field today. And the reason Bryce Harper has to play center field today is because the Phillies have, you know, guys that are hurt, you know, Kingery, who was your starting second baseman at the beginning of the year. Uh, Roman Quinn has a concussion and Jay Bruce, who you mentioned is, you know, is always hurt. He's hurt again. So that's three guys who can play the outfield. Although Kingery technically isn't going to be an outfielder this year. He was going to be your full-time second baseman. Okay. So let's keep that in perspective. The Phillies now have to play Bryce Harper, start Bryce Harper in center field in this game because they don't have enough outfielders. They, which is even go even further they don't have enough position players on their 40-man roster. doesn't mean that there aren't guys in Lehigh Valley on that 60-man group who can play positionally, who can play outfield or infield, whatever, okay? But they don't have any more on the 40-man, which if you got, what, how many, how many batters are, are on the roster now? 14, right? 14 batters, I believe they have. And then the three guys who are hurt. That means that they got 17 hitters on the 40-man roster and 23 pitchers. Is that a good? Is that a good balance? I, I, I don't know. To I, me, I believe if that you're de- if you're going to, de- well, I was going to say if you're going to devalue the bullpen, let's just say if that's the major league perspective, like the least important thing is our bullpen, then couldn't you then sit there and say maybe have an extra bat or two available to us, and that if those guys on the forty man who are bullpen pieces who we could shuttle in and out, who can come and go as as they please, because we don't, our bullpen is not very good, we can just add and subtract with those guys, and to have the to have the bats. Oh, I mean, there were so many professional hitters, veteran players who they brought into training camp back in back in March, who they let go and went to other teams. And I get it, and you know that's kind of what you do every year. But you put yourself in a position where they only have four outfielders on the roster and don't have one else to go to heaven forbid somebody gets hurt now you got to get rid of somebody that you didn't want to get rid of and bring in somebody who's really not good to play in that spot 
I, I just think it's I just think that's bad management right there. Well, the, I look at this and I've said this before. I believe that a lot of what they're doing with the 40 man is more of an indication of, of how they plan to play, uh, you know, plan to play next season and, and guys that they have to kind of consider holding on to or that they could possibly lose if they don't protect them. And, and I think that a lot of the maneuvering that you're seeing with the 40 man is about that. You know, the, the thing that I look at is what you said is not wrong, but the bigger takeaway for me is that look at the lack of confidence this team has in Adam Hazley. Like, you know, I, I don't want to kill the Phillies for the, the outfield setup at the moment, only because you do have three players that, you know, whether, whether or not this is fair or you could have predicted this or they should have planned for it, you do have three players that are on the IL right now, and, and that's a substantial amount. I don't know how many teams around baseball in a shortened season with the COVID considerations at play would be able to withstand the loss of three of their primary outfielders. I mean, it just would be difficult to do that. And Except, Bob, and this is why I said this, Kingery, when you came into this season, Kingery was not expected to be an outfielder. No, but he was an insurance was policy. I mean, like, sure, it's not like sure. that was Well, Phil Gosselin's an insurance policy. Phil Gosselin can play left field, right? He's an insurance policy. If you need to stick somebody in the outfield, he can do it, right? I mean, yeah, Reese Hoskins technically like, – are we making a, a bigger Left deal out of this than really needed it? Right. Yeah, are, are we making a bigger deal out of this than we need to be? I mean, like Bryce Harper played center field today because, you know, they didn't want Adam Hazley to face a lefty. And like, you know, you got Roman Quinn will be eligible to come back, I believe next weekend. And you have Scott Kingery who can come off the aisle on Thursday. Now, whether or not that happens, uh, I don't know, but he is close uh, from what I understand. So we're talking about holding it down for two, three days here. You know, it's like, I just don't know that this is that big of a deal. Uh, and, and, like, are we nitpicking here now? Like, I just – I don't know. No. I don't. I don't think I'm nitpicking at all because this, is a, this, is, this has happened before. I remember us having a podcast where we discussed this, and I said to you that the only position player that was available to them on the 40-man roster, and they called him up several times and during the year, and he couldn't even put, make contact with Mitch Walden, if you recall this. Sure. And it was like, why, why is that the only option you have? And, and, and I look at it and I say, well, all right, when – I." think if the if the thought process is well we got to protect all these pitchers because we're going to need them in the future we're going to be preparing for the future seasons with all these pitchers well how did that work out because guess what the bullpen stinks so how did that really work out because all these all these young pitchers whatever and then they and then they don't stick around and they don't work and they're not there so like to me i think it's I still think you're burying the lead here. You know, in 2017, the Phillies take Adam Hazley with the eighth overall pick in the MLB draft, and and they they don't trust him. They they hide him against lefties. They don't want him out there. And by the way, like I know that there's been this this big groundswell to get Adam Hazley more playing time, and how he I don't know Joe Girardi must have something against him. You know what Joe Girardi has against him? He just doesn't have a lot of upside. He can give you a decent at bat against a righty. He's an okay center fielder, but people talk about him like he's this super instinctive, wonderful center fielder with all this upside. Like, he does not have that. I'm sorry, he no. doesn't. And, you no, know, he, for, he doesn't. People want to focus on Sunday and, and the ball that Dom Smith hit out the center field that he misplayed that cost them an early run. And I thought that play sort of set the tone for what ensued. Now, I don't believe it cost the Phillies the game, but, you know, the play that really jumped out at me yesterday was the seventh inning, and the Mets were winning 7-1. to Pete Alonzo hits a ball into the left center field gap on the ground. And Adam Hazley takes this really lazy route to the ball. He kind of like lollygags after it, picks it up. Kind of doesn't make an aggressive throw back into the infield. Well, Alonzo's busting ass up six runs, 
around first base and takes two. And to me, like, you're a guy that hasn't had a ton of playing time. You're probably a little bit disappointed with the way things have played out here so far. And, like, that's the effort that you're going to give. And, like, to me, I almost wonder, and, and Joe Girardi would never admit this, and maybe I'm making something out of nothing, and maybe I'm the one that's nitpicking, but I believe that that play played a decision in Girardi's, you know, mind to, to not start Hazley today against the lefty and maybe give him no. that opportunity that he hasn't had yet. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that, Bob. I, I, it, that, that's how I would ex- expect it. I mean, I, you know, this is Girardi's, Girardi's not the kind of guy who's going to miss that, right? He's going to see that and he's going to address that. He's, yeah, that's the one thing about Joe that's, that's, that we love, right? I mean, that's one of the things that fans love here. Cause like, like you look at a guy like Segura this year and he's busted his rear end every like I can't think of a play where I sat there and said man Segura didn't didn't hustle there even on plays where you get mad at Segura like running from shallow left field across the other side of the pitcher's mound to try and catch a pop-up right I mean it's it's but it's it's over hustle in that case but at least he's trying he's busting he's he's going hard I guarantee you that that's a Girardi thing and I guarantee you that you're right that Hazley being lazy yesterday out there not only just the the misplay in the first uh, on Dom Smith but that late inning play in the seventh inning as well that that ruffles the feathers a little bit and that's you're right it's probably what's keeping him out of the lineup and And that's and and that's an and that's a damnation of again the the way that this team has drafted because really other than Alec Bohm and maybe Spencer Howard, we're still, you know, it's still yet to be seen with him. He's going to take a little bit of time. But really, other than those two guys, what have they nailed? Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, jury's still out on Bryson Stott, obviously. There's been some encouraging initial reports about him. And, and you know, you, we're not going to know what that looks like at the major league level until at least 2022, I would imagine, especially after – losing this season and losing the year of development uh, across baseball. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. This could be a situation where, and I was, I was talking to somebody uh, earlier today and they had said to me, you know, is this a situation where if if they do decide to part ways with the current GM two, three years out from now, could this look a little bit better than what we think it does at the moment? Kind of like a la Ed Wade uh, when, when, you know, they parted ways with him back after, I guess that was the 2000, uh, was it 2005 or 2006 season when they, they moved on from him? And I said, I guess it's possible if Boom blossoms into a superstar and so does Spencer Howard and Bryson Stott arrives and he's great, then yeah, maybe we're having a little bit of a different conversation here. But, you know, in general, uh, I do think it's an indictment of, of the way that they've drafted and the way that they've developed. And, you know, in this situation, for Adam Hazley not to be in the game, and you've had Bryce Harper talk about in the past, hey, I don't want to play center field. I'm not comfortable there. Uh, for him to have to be out there today, I think, speaks volumes about where they're at with Adam Hazley. I just do. You know, after the game, Joe Girardi said today that that he had had a conversation with, with Hazley and that if they build a lead early, they would go to him and that he explained the situation. Well, that's all fine and well. He may have very clearly communicated why, uh, you know, he wasn't in the game, but the fact of the matter is he did not start on a day where – they probably could have used it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and whoever, I don't know who you talk to, and I don't, I'm not going to ask you that, but I will say this. I don't know how you can compare the two. And maybe, maybe, and like you said, maybe doubt four years from now, but I, I don't see a collection of young up-and-coming players that matches Howard Utley, Rollins, Burl, Hamels, Chooch, who all came through your organization from Ed Wade. Right. Like, I don't see that group. 
<laughs> I don't know. Call me crazy, Bob. I don't see that group no, in, but in I, these young I, I players the, that are in this I think organization. The sentiment, I think the sentiment is not that this they have some blossoming core that will rival that one, but just that there maybe are some some players on the way that, that are going to make this thing look a little bit better than it does at the moment. That, I think, was what what he was saying okay. but and I, and I don't know and maybe maybe right like I, I think that there's a lot of maybes with this and you know I don't I don't want to lament this too much but I you know you look at some of the other things and, and there are so many things to feel good about right now like I, I don't want to now that we've skewed negative for 30 minutes and I'm sure that you know people that listen to the show on a consistent basis were probably ready for this today you know <laughs> You have to be realistic, and that's what I kind of keep coming back to. And, and my, my thesis here is that the Phillies are a playoff team that could possibly, if the stars align correctly, make a little bit of a run, you know, and I, I believe that. But if you're being realistic, you can't just say, hey, listen, this team's won 11 of their last 14 games and all is well in the world. They're not. I mean, there's, there's still issues here that have been here all along, and they were on full display on, on Monday afternoon. I mean, we saw it once again. Uh, you, you get the big lead early. The offense kind of shuts down in the middle innings. And when they don't tackle on consistently, this bullpen has no ability to, to kind of halt the opponent's momentum once things get rolling a little bit. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again this season. Now, that being said, I, I want to I talk about – and I, I do want to get to Spencer Howard and kind of just get your thoughts on him now that we've seen him about five times. But I, I want to talk about Alec Bohm specifically. And isn't it amazing – as soon as Alec Bohm arrives on the scene, I guess it was the Baltimore series, uh, and, and he's been up here for, I guess, roughly a month now or so, it seems like did that flip the switch for Reese Hoskins? And, like, I almost wonder, like, if you go back to when Alec Bohm made his debut, I dug the numbers up uh, a little while ago, a few days ago, but, I mean, it basically coincides with the resurgence of Reese Hoskins, and, and we want to talk about that too. But first, Alec Bohm, I mean – He's been better than, than I, I could have imagined, to, to be honest with you. I, I did not foresee – I knew he had an advanced approach. I knew that he was a, a seasoned hitter. But to, to do what he's done at certain times with two strikes, to have such a mature approach, to show some gap power, to, to show some, some you know, home run power that I had questions existed at this point in his game, I've been extremely encouraged with what I've seen. Yeah, I, I have too. I, I've been really impressed – uh, I think I texted you at one point. I forget what game it was, but uh, talking about his approach to, you know, be able to one. I forget what game it was, but you know, hit a home run to pull side left field, and then next time up he comes up and he laces one into right into right field. Goes just goes with the pitch, and hits it where you know where it was pitched. Um, and, and like stuff like that is is a lost art for young players anymore, right? Everybody just wants to go up there and, and hit a home run. Nobody nobody's going up there with an approach. Um, that, like a, a professional approach. And, and that's, I, that's what frustrates me when I watch any baseball game. Like I might sit there and go like, oh man, what are you doing? Why are you trying to hit a home run there? You don't need to. Um, so like I really was impressed. I have been completely 100% impressed with Outbone. I, I thought, I think he's been, and he came, he, was, he arrived sooner than I expected as well. Um, you do know that there's going to be at some point, the league's going to kind of figure him out a little bit and he's going to have to respond. Well, and that's going to be might not even be this season. It might be not might not be till next year, um, and we'll be interesting to see how he kind of fluctuates with that too. But I I like it. I like I like what I see out of him, and I'm I'm, I'm curious to have the conversation with Hoskins because I think you're onto something there. Well, it's interesting you say that the league's going to catch up to him. Obviously, he ran into to a pitcher that's just on another planet right now, and Jacob Degrom on Sunday, but. 
he had up until the eighth inning today, uh, you know, a hell of a series here. I mean, he, he really struggled. I believe he was two for 17 coming into that at bat in the eighth inning where he hit the game tying single to right field. And a lot of young hitters at that point, I think would start to, to feel like maybe the moment's getting too big for me or, Hey, I'm hitting my first real slump since I've been up here. And you start to see guys, you know, pull out, try to jack the ball to left field. And, and what does he do? He shows that mature approach. He shows that, that confidence and poise that's sort of uncanny for a hitter this young in his career. And he just stays back, goes the other way, delivers a huge game tying base hit that really saved what was going to be just a miserable loss for the Phillies this afternoon. And it was just such an important bat to tie the game up there and give them a chance in the ninth and in extra innings. And so that to me is what's really impressive because you said it, he's going to go through slumps. There are going to be periods where the league adjusts and he's going to have to figure it out. And today what he showed I mean, he showed a pair of stones today and coming up in that spot and getting it done. And it's something he's done consistently since he's been up here. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the numbers are going to look like at the end of the year. I figure probably somewhere 800 OPS, 850 OPS, probably going to hit somewhere between 270 and 290. You know, they might not blow you away, his numbers, but just I think the overall package of what he is and his maturity is what you should really be most bullish on. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, I, and, and, and the thing that you had mentioned earlier about how it, with Hoskins, uh, you know, getting hot. I think you had to, you got to think about it. When Outbone came up, right? The, Hoskins was struggling and Kingery was struggling. And so you kind of had to look at it and say, okay, well, they're going to play. Out. And they said, like Girardi said, I think it was Girardi, or was it Clintac? I think it was Girardi said that they're not going to bring him up to not play him. So he's going to come up and he's going to play. And the only two positions that he really, you think about, are third base and first base. So they started him at third, which bumps Segura to second, which bumped Kingery to the outfield. But it put, it put both Kingery and Hoskins on notice that if he comes up and this kid can hit, one of you guys, if you don't start hitting, are going to be out of the lineup. And, and Hoskins, I think, responded. And, you know, and he's been great since then. There's no question. Reese has been really, really good. Um, Kingery, not so much, but then Kingery has been dealing with a lot this year, whether it's COVID, whether it's injuries, got back thing, whatever. I, I, I don't know what to make of Scott Kingery. It's, it's probably just a lost season for him and you hope it, it uh, he finds it again, uh, in, in 2021, but it's it, to get back to Hoskins, to see him finally get back to doing the things that he can do and things that we talked about preseason saying there's still a good hitter in there. He's just got to he's got to work through whatever it is that he's been struggling with, whether it was where his hands are positioned and whatever his timing mechanism, uh, his his launch angle, whatever you want to talk about, like with with Reese Hoskins. Once he figures it back out again, there's still a professional hitter in there that's a good hitter, and he and he did, and it just kind of coincided with Bohm coming up, and maybe it was because he looked at it and said, "Uh oh, my job can be in jeopardy." And, and you know that was it's, it. It's 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 an interesting suggestion because. I don't believe that Reese Hoskins wasn't trying or felt almost complacent or comfortable with his lack of production. Like, I don't think that when Alec Bohm was right. in the minors, Reese Hoskins said, I have nothing to worry about. I think that Reese Hoskins was always very aware of the fact that, hey, you know, if I don't get this together, I might lose my spot. And by the way, I might lose my chance at a significant contract once my, my arbitration years yep. are up, you know? And I think that that probably weighed on him a little bit. It's funny, though. I tweeted last Tuesday. I said, I have no idea if the threat of Alec Bohm grabbing some starts from Reese Hoskins sparked urgency, but his OPS has climbed 
324 points since the day he arrived. And, you know, basically in light of what we've seen this past week, nothing's really changed. I mean, Reese Hoskins' OPS has basically risen by 300 points since the day that Alec Bohm was called up. So while it may have been a coincidence, and it likely was a coincidence, it certainly has coincided with the resurgence of Reese Hoskins. Now, interestingly, I think that there's two different things at play here that have sort of sparked his bounce back. And number one is the mental component of this. And we've talked a lot about Reese Hoskins on this show and what's been going on with him. But, you know, when you got to the All-Star break last year and he had the second half that he did, hit 180, was a total mess. It was probably the first time in his professional career. I mean, it was the first time in his professional career where he witnessed and went through and experienced a slump of that magnitude and probably his entire playing playing career period, you know, not just at a professional level. And I think in some way that that had to really not only frustrate him, but probably make him question himself, probably cause him to lose some confidence and things really started to snowball on him. Then he tries to rework his swing. He has a new hitting coach. He's trying to get comfortable. And then you have the start and stop with the COVID situation. Probably still wasn't comfortable when he came back in July. But when he had that one home run at Fenway, broke that 127 plate appearance streak without a home run, it's like the, the switch flipped. And, and it's not just because all of a sudden he's doing something different. It's because he says, oh, yeah, you know what? I can have success, and I am a good hitter. And I, I guarantee you in some way, shape, or form, though – it seems so trite. It seems sort of cliche to make the suggestion. I do believe that one hit, one at bat, one one time getting that feeling back can change things for a player. Now, from a more mechanical standpoint, I think that he has made a, a conscious effort to use all fields. It's something that Joe Dillon has stressed. It's something that Joe Girardi has stressed, that hitters are better when they're willing to use all fields. And it's something that we have seen from Reese Hoskins more so in recent weeks. Yes, He's hitting the ball with authority out the left field still, but there has been more of an effort to use all fields, and he's demonstrated that opposite field power that was gone for, you know, the better part of almost 150 plate appearances. Yeah, and you know what the interesting thing is? It's, it's been so good, Bob. Like, if you extrapolate this out over a full season, like, and that's, that's something that I, I don't think fans quite maybe we'll understand if you just kind of you know, look at what he's doing and say, oh, he's doing, he's hitting well. That's great. That's, he's, you know, okay, it's about time he's starting to hit. But if you really extrapolate this out, you know, and you look at it, 254 batting average is, is what it is. That's fine. But over a course of 100, the, the pace that he's on right now would be a 40 home run pace. The RBI pace that he's on right now would be a 100 RBI pace. And you have the on-base percentage, 400, which is unbelievable, right? And that's really good for, for pro baseball, eventually baseball. Absolutely. And an OPS of nine, whatever it is, 940 or whatever it is. Like, that's a, that's a sensational season. And I don't think, I don't think it quite, you, you know, people quite are equating how well he's playing right now. And it could just be a hot streak and he could turn it back, you know, who knows, in, in a week, a week and a half, he might struggle again and get back to what we saw at the beginning of the season. That's baseball, right? Those kinds of things happen. But including the start, you got to include the fact started off slow He's still on what would be that 40 home run, 100 RBI, 940 OPS, 412 on base pace, which is pretty darn good. Only a handful of guys in Major League Baseball put up those kinds of numbers. Yeah, you would think given the, the cold start and then the, the recent hot stretch that it sort of kind of evens out that, that the numbers that you speak of and the 162 game pace that you speak of, 
is a potentially realistic gauge of the type of year he's having, that it's not just born out of one hot week. I mean, because you consider how cold he was, at least in terms of balls in play, right? Like the on-base production, the on-base skill right. has always been there all along. But when you consider how poor the, the on-base or, or ball in play production had been up until, you know, uh, roughly – two and a half, three weeks ago. Yeah, I think that you're getting an accurate gauge on what type of player he could possibly be. And he's always going to be streaky. You know, he he entered a stretch when he homered today. Uh, I believe that that was his eighth home run in 81 plate appearances since his first against the Red Sox. So, like, is he going to hit one home run every 10 plate appearances moving forward? No, that's completely unsustainable no. production. But when you factor in the start that he had with it, yes. Could Reese Hoskins be a 40 home run hitter moving forward? It would seem so. And you, you think about. I mean, think about it though. I mean, last season, as bad as it was for him, he still hit 29. And 2018, which was you know, uh, just a little bit better of a season, he hit 34. So could he be a 40 home run guy? Absolutely. I mean, he's I not that far, probably far the away, ceiling, right? Like that's the ceiling. Like I don't think that he yeah. has consistent 40 home run years in him. But is he? Is he at right. the end of the day a 30, 35 home run guy? Yes, yes I, I would say so. Now. You know, when you when you pair that with the on-base skills, I think that's what makes him such an intriguing player. Does he have a long-term future as a first baseman? I don't know. I mean, I guess that that kind of stays, you know, is up in the air. I think it would be great for the Phillies and Reese Hoskins if if the uh, DH uh, is implemented for the for the good Stay, and for the long term. Stays in the NL. You know, so yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I mean, overall, it's been super encouraging, especially in light of JT Real Muto's recent struggles and, and really the, the, the stretch that Bryce Harper's gone through. I'm – to be, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't want to overreact to, to either player. And I know that Real Muto homered today. He was on base a couple other times. And, and Bryce Harper had a hit early today as well. And, and, you know, I believe that these guys are going to get back on track. But I have been a little bit disappointed over the last 14, 15 games with what each of those guys have done. Now, clearly they were never going to sustain the pace that they were on through the first three weeks of the season. It would have been completely unrealistic to ask them to do so. But at the same time, if we're being fair here, it's time for these guys to kind of get back on track and start being the players that they are. You know, it's 60-game season. You have to overreact to everything that you see. Like, I think that, that rational observers of baseball know that it's kind of ridiculous to take a 10-day stretch and say, well, how, how are you going to fault a guy for, for being a little bit off for, for 10 days or 14 days? But given what's at stake here, given the enormity of each game, it, it's okay. You had your 10 days. You had your 14 days where you're a little bit off. It's, it's time to get going now. Yeah, uh, and maybe that's why Bryce cut the hair, Bob. Yeah. And, and that will <laughs> – you, know, you, you notice these little things. Like Bryce cuts his hair, and JT, who never goes high socks, is now all of a sudden Mr. High Socks today. And I'm like, I'm like these guys are so superstitious about things. Like, I try these different things. Maybe these will help you be, hit better. It cracks me up, and I love it. I, I love every minute of it because, I, you know, I remember being – when I was a kid, I did the same kind of stuff. And I was playing ball. I was like, all right, if I do this, it'll be different. This will be different. No, but you're right. I mean, they need, to, they need to certainly be better. I mean, you look at who's been carrying this team uh, in recent games, and it's not been your three, four, five guys. I mean, it depends on who's hitting five. Um, but Segura has been – Segura was, you know, been, has been really good of late. Um, and, and, and like we said, we talked about Hoskins. I mean, that's really where most of your offense – and Andrew McCutcheon. You and know, McCutcheon, Andrew McCutcheon, McCutcheon got really, better. Yeah, yeah McCutcheon really helped. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I guess when I, I look at this, it would just be nice to see. Maybe they're saving this for October, but wouldn't it be nice to see Reese Hoskins, JT Real Muto, and Bryce Harper all be hot together at the same time? Wouldn't yeah, that sure, be something? Sure, sure, it know? would be great. Wouldn't that be would, the dream? Now, it would, it would, you know, be I fantastic. guess a question that I have for you, uh, and I feel like everyone, every time you talk about the Phillies, it's like it always comes back to this. It's the question that looms in the distance, and I know that you – have kind of expressed your uh, skepticism in the Phillies' ability to re-sign JT Realmuto long-term. You know, now that, that JT Realmuto is probably not going to win the National League MVP award, um, you know, let, let me ask you, does, do the numbers matter? Like, does it matter if JT Realmuto finishes at 270 with uh, 13 home runs this year versus 300 with 17 home runs this year? Like, we're talking about maybe a, a handful of hits no. and, and a couple home runs. Does the final stat line of 2020 change the reality of what JT Real Muto is going to score on a free agent market? No, I don't think so at all. Yeah, I, I agree I, with you. Yeah, no, I don't think it does at all. I think that you're looking at a guy who is a middle-of-the-lineup catcher who can, who's the best base-running catcher in baseball. And I don't just say that as the best base-running catcher. Dude can run the bases, whether he was a first baseman, a second baseman. It doesn't matter. He runs the bases really yeah. well. Yeah, Ruben Amara, did you catch that today during during the telecast on Monday? He was saying that, you know, as a scout, he's done a lot of scout work, and he said that JT Romuto grades out as one of the best base runners, uh, you know, not just catchers, but in, in the game, period. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's such a really good base runner. That's underrated part of his game. He's an excellent uh, defensive catcher, throws out, runner. You can't run on him. I mean, there's so much to like. so well-rounded that he's going to get paid. And, and, and a 60-game sample of, of a season is not going to be the, 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 what ends up determining his value. What's going to determine his value is this guy is the best at his position and has a solid five years ahead of him at least uh, at that position. And, oh, by the way, you can play him at first base and he doesn't hurt you there um if need be to kind of get him a break from from uh, from catching oh and by the way the dh is going to be universal now probably uh so we can always throw him in there as well there i think it only adds to his value and i think that that's what you know he's going to get paid and he's going to get paid what he's deserved and i'm just not 100 convinced it's here right uh yeah i you know i don't know and whether or not it changes the reality of how the Phillies are going to play this, there, there is the, uh, the guy down in Miami, the kid down in Miami who's gotten off to uh, just an absolutely incredible start uh, with the Marlins. I mean, anytime that he takes the ball, you can just go to, to Pitching Ninja's Twitter and you can kind of just catch the inning-by-inning Sixto Sanchez highlights. I mean, he's been the real deal, and certainly it's a small sample size, and pitchers can get hurt, and he's had an injury history, and all of those things are true, but every time that he goes out and dominates the way that he has to this point, I feel like, at least in the mind of fans, it it makes the urgency and the want and desire to sign JT Romuta to a long-term contract kind of just kick up another level. Now, I don't think that the Phillies, and, and nor should they make the decision emotionally. They should not make the decision based on what Sixto Sanchez is doing. But it just, I keep coming back to this, this situation in which you have this kid who's doing what he's doing. The Phillies gave up what they gave up to get JT Real Muto. And at the end of the day, could they possibly part ways with this guy after 220 games of baseball and lose out on not only Sixto Sanchez, but lose out on the next three or four years of all-star caliber play of JT Real Muto? 
How do you, as a big market team that talks about wanting to get your effing trophy back, who has a right fielder that signed here for the better part of the next 13 years, how do you keep him on track? How do you keep him on board? Why do you pair Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, these big money starting pitchers? How do you do all of this and not re-sign a guy that's arguably one of the core players? I mean, not arguably, is one of the core players of your team and brings you so much closer to postseason play in 2021, 2020, uh, 2022. How do you not re-sign him? And that's what I keep coming back to. And it, it will be a spectacular failure if this organization, at least from a PR standpoint, you know, who knows what the future holds. Maybe from a baseball standpoint, you can make an argument that re-signing JT Romuto with that type of money is not the best allocation of funds. But from a PR and just a general vibe and, and the way that people feel about this organization, from that standpoint, what a catastrophic failure that would be. So let me, let me say this. What if the Phillies are approaching the real Muto thing in a way where they are confident, a little too confident in themselves in the ability to re-sign him? In other words, what if the conversation has already happened internally where they say, oh, well, we're just, don't worry about it. We'll wait for the end of the season, make sure that there's nothing catastrophic injury-wise that happens to him. And then we're going to throw this great contract at him that he's going to love. But they're not taking into consideration the fact that they haven't really been in communication with him and his agent, or they waited too long to, to start conversations and to really begin to have those conversations. And maybe that bothered him a little bit. And maybe it's, it says, you know what, let's just – see if somebody else will give us more and that puts you puts you in a spot where all either you have to match someone else's offer or a leak gets out to say the Mets have offered xyz right uh with co with um with the new owner there and the, yeah, Cohen, and the mo yeah. new money that's going to be there uh right so maybe that leaks out from the agent to a to a media member and now all of a sudden you're bidding against yourself and it really kind of puts you in a, in a bad spot. Like, I think that the Phillies might have just misplayed how they're going to approach it. Not to say that they won't get him back. They could, so, they could very well re-sign him, but might have to re-sign him at a number far higher than they wanted to. And if they, they could have avoided that if they would have just engaged with him sooner thrown a contract at him out now prior to the season, not let him hit free agency. Like those kinds of things, if you, if you took that approach instead, you might have had a much better chance of, of keeping the guy. And now you're putting yourself into a spot where you might have to overdo it in order to keep the guy. And you should never have been in that spot to begin with. That's, that's a failure in the organization's part as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to let things play out before I drop the hammer there. I don't want to speculate too much on hypotheticals. Rob Motti, a few weeks ago, AP writer, also 97.5 The Fanatic, uh, you know, reported that there had been no meaningful contact between the Phillies and Real Muto's representation. Right. I don't know what's happened since then. Uh, certainly, there, th th those talks could have started. There could at least be a feeling out process here. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe the Phillies come in and they get a reasonable deal done with JT Real Muto or, you know, what we expect the deal to look like. And we just all say, hey, listen, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they got it done. The player wanted to be here. They made it happen. And we all just move forward. You know, and I've also heard people suggest that there's this idea, well, what if you go out and you get a league average catcher and then you use 
you know, the, the $25 million you're saving on JT Real Muto or the $20 million if you, let's say you paid a free agent $5 million or, or something in that neighborhood. What if you use the, that $20 million to go out and buy a closer, add to your starting rotation, which you're going to need to do? What happens if you go out and maybe – get another meaningful outfield piece or re-sign D.D. Gregorius, who's going to be uh, an unrestricted free agent. And I just, I say, yeah, like, I understand that. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can spend $25 million and, and maybe you can spend it more efficiently. But I just come back to the optics of the situation. And, you know, like you said, are they overconfident? Have they sort of, uh, you know, played their hand too slowly here? All of this is possible. I just, I, I, we talked about it back in July and I've had a hard time moving off of this. I just don't see how these two sides – well, I, I see how one side doesn't come to the table and gets the deal done, but I just don't see how the Phillies can let this happen, though I guess it's sort of hard to have a ton of confidence that they will get this done. But I just, I just can't get beyond the, all of the narrative – you know, all the narrative factors, all the contextual factors that makes this deal make too much sense, even despite the fact that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, 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 you're right, right? I mean, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling because it should not be at this point. And you sit there and say, they can't screw this up, right? Even if, even if what I just said uh, comes to fruition and they're forced to overpay, even if it's that bad scenario and they misplayed it but they still ended up you know, signing them even though it was probably more than they wanted to, it doesn't matter. Like, you can't let, it, you, you can't let him go. Whatever the case might be, you can't let him walk away. I don't have an, an option, Bob, to go with a, you know, uh, a, a lesser catcher and spend that money in other places. Like, I, I don't see it. Like, I look at the free agents for next year, and while there are some intriguing players that say, oh, I'd love to see them as a Philly, I, I don't love to see them as a Philly more than I love to see JT Romuto as a Philly. And that's, that's the, you know, I think he is the number one guy. Yeah. That's it. There's yeah, no I, other, no, yeah, no I just one think, else. I think whatever, whatever dream scenario you can come up with, like, Hey, we're going to sign player A, B and C to replace the, the loss of real Muto. I don't believe from a, from a leadership standpoint, from a, from a clubhouse standpoint that, that whatever war that you can increase or whatever other metric you can improve upon. I don't believe that that's enough to offset the the reality or the shock of, of losing a player um, of his magnitude. So it'll be very interesting, again, to just kind of continue to monitor this situation. You know, I know that people are living and dying by this. They, they are very concerned. There's some anxiety on the part of what they're going to do here. But it kind of comes back to the original point of this conversation, which was JT Romuto has gone through a cold streak. Does it alter at all the market reality, uh, to borrow a Matt Klintak phrase, does it alter the market realities of what he's going to get. And, and I think that we're both on the same page and saying the answer is a resounding no. Um, before we wrap this thing up, I, I just want to briefly touch on, and, and Anthony, you know I'm kind of up against it in terms of availability here, but yep. I, I do want to talk about uh, Spencer Howard real quick. We've seen him about five times now. And just real quick, and, and we'll go to you in a second and what you think about this. I just, I have to say, I, I am not underwhelmed by what I've seen from him because I, I think that you have to take into account that he's sort of learning on the fly at the major league level and he did not have the, the benefit of 15 or 20 more developmental starts, which I think he probably needed now that we're seeing what we are seeing. But I, I still think you see the arm and the talent and the way that the fastball flashes at times, the way some of the secondary pitches flash at times. 
but it seems like he goes in and out of having a feel for his pitches. And certainly his velocity is kind of come and gone. And I guess that's the one thing that surprised me a little bit. Joe Girardi talked about the velocity and the inconsistencies of it. He said at times he feels like he's trying to overcompensate. He's trying to kind of get velocity when it's not there. And he's not as free and easy with his mechanics as he, as he's been at other times throughout his development. And so it's, it's a little bit concerning to see that. Um, it's, it's a little bit concerning that we haven't gotten that one start yet out of his five where you say like, wow, there it all is. You know, there's going to be growing pains, but it was all on display tonight. And we haven't seen that yet. And I guess I'm not so sure that we are going to see that this year, but I would expect and I would suspect with some more consistency in his schedule and he's had a lot of weird things happen with the way he's been utilized extra days in between starts a blister in his second start there just hasn't been a lot of there hasn't been a lot of consistency in his routine to this point I do think that that's played a factor in, in his what I would call somewhat underwhelming start yeah, I agree with you, and uh, I know you know I don't want to give you a real long answer in response because of our time constraint, but I will say that I'm willing to to give him the time that he needs. Here's a kid who probably, if we had a real season this year, 162 games, would have had, it, I don't know, I'm going to say 15 starts in the minor leagues that would have kind of you know, ramped him up to get ready for major election. And maybe by that point, by the time we get to start 20 for his season, we would have seen that that one where you go, oh, yeah, that's the start that's going to – yeah, there's going to be growing pains, but that's the start that's going to happen. So to me, just getting him time, it's good experience for him. I, I didn't think he was ready to, to come into the majors. I think that the Phillies needed another arm because of the way that the schedule worked out, and he happened to be the one that they went to. Um, I will be more concerned about him if by, you know, the middle of next season we hit the all-star break in July and we're still waiting for that game. You know what I'm saying? Like if, it, if we get to that point, then I'm, then I'm concerned. But I, I think that we're still at a point where, yeah, I mean, it would be great if we had it now, but if we don't get it, I, I kind of understand why. Yeah, right on. I, I totally agree. Uh, now the Phillies have a doubleheader against the Boston Red Sox, the woeful Red Sox. Uh, on Tuesday at Citizens Bank Park, and then they start their, what is it, seven games in five days against the Marlins down in Miami. Yep. And, uh, you know, they've obviously had their hands full with that team this season and over the past couple of seasons. And they're going to have to exercise the demons this week. And if they do that, they could. If they, if they stay hot, you know, if they rebound here and, and pick up a couple wins at home on Tuesday and they go down to Miami and they play good baseball, they could find themselves in first place uh, at the end of this weekend. And, and so hopefully the next time that we talk, uh, you know, at least it, hopefully the wheels have not fallen off. At least they, hopefully they don't do what they do uh, or have done recently down in Miami. That's the hope. Uh, I got to get going here, Anthony. I know, uh, you know, there's probably, if we could do this a little bit longer, you and I have a way of, of going an hour and 20 sometimes, but we're going to cut yeah. this one short. Uh, it was good catching up with you. Uh, make sure that you are listening to all of the podcasts on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Obviously, Snow the Goalie with Russ Joy and Anthony Sanfilippo. Uh, Flyer season came to a difficult end, but you guys did a hell of a job with your coverage both on Snow the Goalie and the Press Row Show. Continue to listen to that and look for that throughout the offseason as the Flyers try to take the next step. And uh, also, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. Be sure to check that out as well. Once again, I'm Bob Wankel for Anthony Sanfilippo. Thank you for listening to Crossed Up, and we will catch you soon.